0: the time that we have spent here before we move into our new building before the Lord does this new work in the life of our church, I wanted to end our series about the church on a sermon with a sermon called Bigger Than the Building. Bigger than a Building. And more than anything, if I could have you learn anything else, is that the church, if we have learned nothing else over the past year two years, the church is not the building itself. Now, this is actually probably going to be the shortest message I've ever preached in our church. But it's one of those things that I want you to grasp, and I really hope that it's short and sweet enough for you to understand the importance about what the Lord is actually doing for us in the life of our church. Now, as we have gotten this news and the news has been disseminated about us getting a building, I've got nothing but celebration and excitement from people and it has been a, a really good blessing and something to be excited about and something to celebrate but also for me there's also been this this pressure right there's this moment of caution because you realize any excuses that we had they're gone well we're displaced well we don't have a building well we don't di- it's now time for us to put up or or shut up <laughs> And as happy as I have been knowing that we've gotten a building, I realize that we must now actually epitomize, if we have not done so before, what the church is. And so the thesis of this sermon is that the building does not make us a church. There are lots of people who think we're going to move into a building, and all these things are going to happen, all these wonderful people are going to start showing up but the reality is, is if that people is not po- if that church is not possessed by people of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's just another building. And that building can be dead, even though there are people inside it. And so what we need to do is know who we are as we go into this place. Know what God has called us to and what God has called us to do. The building will mean nothing if the people that enter it are not where they're supposed to be. And if we can't be the church without a building, then we can't be the church with the building either. And so to put it in football terms, we are on the goal line. We are right there, and this is our final attempt to get into the end zone and we need to put our best play and execute it well in order to do that. And so today we're going to look at First Peter and hopefully we're going to understand what it means to be the church that God has called us to be and the people that God has called to effectively do his work. And so go with me, if you will, to 1 Peter 2 and 1, 1 Peter 2 and 1. 1 Peter 2 and 1, it reads, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for everything that you have done in the life of our church we thank you for the blessings that you have provided for us but God give us what we need to understand from the word of God what it means to be your church what it means to exist as the church and what it means to be a people that you are building the church upon For we can only do this in your strength but in our weakness Help us see this today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So much of what we have to say about becoming a people of God is about what we think we need to put on. But Peter actually opens up here by not telling us what we need to put on. He says, before you can become the church, let me tell you some things you need to put away. Let me tell you some things you need to start taking off. Because sometimes before you can become something else, you have to forsake what you've been. And so if you're an adult, you've got to leave your toys behind. If you are a husband, you've got to leave the other girls behind. If you're on a, a diet, you've got to leave the fried chicken behind. Pastor Mike, that ain't directed towards you or anything you were eating last week in your office. That was already in the sermon. But in other words, whenever you're trying to do and be something else, you got to leave some stuff behind. Amen. (laughs) And that's what Peter is advising us to do here. Before I start telling you what you need to be, before I start telling you what you need to do, let me tell you what you need to let go of. He says that you need to put away all malice and all deceit. Let's look at those two things. Malice. Why in the world would you need to put away malice? Well, what is it? Malice literally means behaving in a malicious way. It is doing something or even saying something, no matter how you try to spin it, with ill or evil intentions. Because... You know, Peter is emphasizing this here because he had heard a sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus on the Mount, when he gives the Beatitudes and he tells them that the only, only those who are pure at heart are those who are going to be with and see the Lord. In other words, only the people who have good and pure intentions are the true children of God. To be a member of the body of believers, to be a member of the church, there is no room for anybody in the church with improper motives. There is no room for anybody with an alternative or an ulterior agenda. You are here to build his house, not your mansion. We are here for and to the glory of God. And the only way that you can have pure motives is if your heart itself is pure. And let me break some news to you. If you have not been redeemed by Jesus Christ, your heart is not pure. The Bible says that actually your heart above all things is deceitful and wicked and you can't even know your own heart. So in order for us to have pure hearts we must be in right relationship with our savior it takes his purity to purify our hearts so that one peter says is to clear your heart of malice but then he says but also put away all deceit as well we have to be true to others i like that it says deceit because we are probably more often deceitful then we are liars. So I ain't really lie. I just manipulate the truth. Well, deceit is not so much actively telling a lie as it is intentionally withholding certain information to shape the truth in a certain light. This reminds me of the wife that called her husband wondering what would be for dinner, and she asked him, hey, do you know what you're eating for dinner? He replied, no, I don't. She goes, okay, well, then don't worry about getting me anything. If you don't know what you're going to eat, then I'll just find something around the house. Needless to say, she was frustrated when he walked in with empty bags of eating fast food. She said, I thought you didn't know what you wanted to eat. He said, well, I didn't because you were distracting me in the drive-thru line. Now, this might be one of those real life illustrations that I pulled from my own life. But you see, in a noncomical way, being deceitful and claiming to be a part of a body of believers, it not only damages what people will think about the church as a whole, but it damages your witness. You can't be a believer and clock in late, but say you got their own time. You can't be a believer and say, well, I did this, even though I really did that. If you are going to be a part of this body of believers, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be. We must be who we are in Christ. Likewise, the Bible tells us that we must not be hypocrites. We cannot be those who say one thing in front of people, but in private, we're living a different way. No, if you are going to be a part of this body of believers, your life must be consistent with your profession of faith. You cannot be a saint on Sunday and the rest of the week, nobody would even know that you had a relationship with Jesus. Who we are in public must also be who we are in private. You cannot build a brick house on paper foundation. If with our mouths we proclaim Christ, but we deny him with our lives, then we are no greater than the Pharisees and we undermine the gospel. He says, put away envy desiring to have or be in the place of others. He says, put away slander. He then instructs them that they should long for the pure and spiritual milk. And he makes the comparison to us like infants who long for the milk of their mother. He says, why do they need that pure spiritual milk? Because they need to grow. Likewise, we must long for the pure spiritual milk that is the word of God. So that we can grow in grace, in knowledge, and in truth of our Savior. But you see, this is the thing. You must have an appetite for it. You have to have an appetite for it. Let's think about it. Why do infants crave milk? It's because that's all they have to eat. You don't give an infant steak. You don't give them spaghetti. You give them milk, and that milk supplies the needs that they have. And they long for it because that's all they have an an appetite for. Likewise, we should long for the pure spiritual milk of the word because that's what we have an appetite for. Let me tell you something. You won't get an appetite for something if you never taste of it. There are some people who love ramen noodles as a delicacy because they have never had a steak. But I guarantee if you give them a steak, what's going to happen with their appetite? It's going to change. The reason many of us claim to be believers but don't desire the word of God is because we're not tasting of the word of God we're not opening it up we're not tasting and seeing that the Lord himself is good many of us unfortunately are only consuming what we already have an appetite for I'm sure that not enough of us who want to call ourselves members of the church have the appetite that we need for the word of God Because we don't have an appetite for it, we are not growing up in our salvation and sanctification is not happening. You just as mean, rude, nasty as you used to be. We need to grow up in the word. And as we know, anything that doesn't get its proper nourishment will inevitably be weak. It'll be fragile. It will be susceptible to all types of disease and sickness and sin. And I have to tell you all this. In God's house, there is no place for weak spots. See, we aren't just the church. But we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In our bodies is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's the one distinction we have from the rest of the world. I was in class last week and one of the students was making a point. They say, well, you know, our bodies are the temple. I was like, of what? Because if you're not a believer, your body might be a temple, but it really is a sarcophagus. If you don't know Jesus, your body is not a temple, it's a tomb. But those of us who know him, we have the spirit of God indwelling and living in us. And this is the reality, Pastor Mike, you can attest to it because you've probably seen it more than I have. But I've seen many people be more diligent about the church building and care for it, but not care For the same body that the Lord had given them. Which is the church. Think about it. The church building doesn't really become the church. If people aren't in there. Let me put it like this. You can build a building together. But if the believers in it are not built together with one another. Then it's not a church. Likewise. Just because we are building together, that does not mean that what we are building is honoring to God. No, we must be built on our chief and center cornerstone, which is Christ. When Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And to that, he said, that the church would be built On that principle, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. The builders of the law were building a righteousness that was driven by their performance, that was driven by their works. But we are being built not on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. On Christ's the solid rock we stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. He has now become the center of our foundation as a body of believers. As a result, he has called us to be his chosen people, a royal priesthood committed to do the good works of God our Father who has prepared us beforehand, and through his grace and mercy has drawn us to himself. Y'all, church is not what we do. Church is not where we go. It is who we are. We are the church. There are many people who thought that we had stopped being the church and we lost the building, but we didn't. Colossians 3 and 12 says, put on then, we talked about what we put off. This is what we put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all things, put on love, which bonds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly peter what we ought to put off we are now told by paul in colossians what we ought to put on he tells us if we're going to be believers effective believers that we must put on compassionate hearts those hearts that must be filled with kindness with meekness with humility with patience bearing with one another even if we have a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. And then he says, but the key to all of this, if you want to put on anything else, the one thing that you must put on is love. What does love do? It binds us all together. Y'all, the Bible makes it clear. We were not a people until Jesus Christ made us one. We were all scattered about. We were all doing our own thing. But now, in Christ, He has made us one. We're bound together by the love that He extended to us on the cross. But He says, but you're not just bound together. He says, but also in perfect harmony. How can 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people come together as a new community and all operate with different gifts, with different backgrounds, with different um, ethnicities, and all come together without constant fighting and bickering? Well, the answer is simple. They have to love one another. They have to love one another. If it takes love, just think about this, especially for the married folk in the room, if it takes love for just two people to commit to each other, then how much more do you think that it will take hundreds of people who are coming in and say that we are going to be bound together as a body of believers. So we must let God's word dwell in us and shape us and teach us so that we might be drawn even closer to one another. Collectively, we must be about the word when we come together At the center of what we do, it should be the word of God. But individually, we must be about the word. In our homes, in our lives, so that when we do come together as a body, it's an extension of the worship that we're already having at home. Y'all, we have been called to be more than just the people in the building. But the building itself is alive because of us. We must be bigger than the building. If we are going to be the church of God, we must not look at the building as an idol. We must not look at it as our means of success, as our way to uh, grandiose claims, grandeur. We must look at it as the house that God allows his people to reside in. Now, as we get ready to transition, we have to come to this reality. And I believe this in my heart. There are going to be people who come we've never seen, who are going to be dealing with things that we've never thought about. The doors are going to be open. But if we as a people are not spiritually in the place to handle those people, we'll lose them. If we as the people are not already the church, then the building's going to mean nothing. And so we must come together as his body, putting away all those things that reflect the life we used to live and put on now the things that reflect the life that we now live. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us to be so much more than a building. You have called us to be Each one of us, these little temples, God, these weak, fragile, broken bodies, but that encase your Holy Spirit. Lord, the more we try to operate in our own strength, in our own power, the less glorified you will be. Lord, don't let any kind of building, don't let numbers, don't let people deceive us from why we have been called to be here. Don't let us be like Ephesus and lose our first love, to leave our first love. God, let everything that you have done, let everything that you are doing and everything you are going to do be a reflection of salvation that we have in you, God putting off all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and putting on kindness and humility and meekness and forgiveness. and above those love. Lord, you are faithful and we trust you, and we love you. We ask that you would bind us together. And if there's anyone who is in this room who doesn't know what it means to be a part of the church, anybody watching who doesn't know what it means to be a part of the church, that this would be the day that you reveal yourself, that you open their eyes, and in your sovereignty and your providence, you save. it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Bye.